Good afternoon. This is Apostle Corey Douglas with Zion Ministry in Harvest, Alabama. Welcome you to another verse-by-verse Bible study on the book of Romans. We will pick up our study on this evening. We are in Romans chapter number 3, verse number 25. Romans chapter number 3, verse number 25. And the verse reads, Whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Last statement says, through the forbearance of God. We will deal with this last statement because this is where we actually left off at, speaking about the forbearance of God. This word forbearance just in reiteration means God restrained himself or he imposed a restraint on himself. And when you impose a restraint on yourself, you're imposing a restraint on one's own actions. And this is what we call self-control, okay, when the individual chooses to keep their actions or keep their self under a degree of restraint or under control, okay. And as this relates to the context of Romans chapter 3, Verse number 25, we're speaking about the self-control or the forbearance of God the Father when he sent his son into the earth and when he allowed his son to be crucified, to be tortured, to be killed uh, in such a wicked and evil manner, even though he had done no wrong. Make no mistake about it. Just because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son doesn't mean that that kind of love was easy to give or it was easy for God the Father to watch. In other words, watching his son uh, being brutally crucified and being brutally tortured and murdered uh, by, uh, you know, these things activated by fallen angels, uh, offsprings of, of, of evil spirits, you know, demonic beings, in addition to wicked man, uh, any father that loves his son or his child, uh, you know, something in you that wants to intervene to stop it. Uh, and so the forbearance was the restraint of, of, of intervening or getting involved, vindicating, judging. Uh, releasing judgment against or protecting his own son when he willfully gave his son for us to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, um, He also had to restrain his love in the aspect of his expression of love. Not, not only did he have to restrain himself from intervening against those that uh, tortured him, but he also had to restrain himself from fellowshipping or keeping close company with his son while his son became sin for us on the cross. Okay? And so, you know, this was something new from the heart of God the Father, uh, but he did this all because of desiring to bring you and I back home and to make us sons and daughters of God through the gift of his son. Forbearance also means tolerance. Tolerance is the ability or willingness to tolerate something. 
uh, in a particular instance, uh, in particular the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not necessarily agree with. So to, to tolerate means to allow the existence, occurrence, or practice of something that one does not agree with without interfering. So, you know, the father looked down at his son and he didn't necessarily agree with how his son was being treated, uh, but he refused to intervene and he refused to get involved, uh, even though he did not like the behavior um, that, you know, that humanity was displaying toward his son. Remember, when the Bible, when he set him forth, okay, when the first part of verse 25, Jesus was set forth to be a perpetuation. So when he put him on public exhibit on Mount Calvary, this was a hard thing for the father to do, but he tolerated it, okay? And it's important for us to understand that because it's easy to think that everything that God did was easy for him to do, and that's not necessarily true, you know, especially with the amount of love and the degree of love that God the Father has for his son and also for his creation. Uh, it's not easy for a God who loved the creation that he created to damn it, to condemn it, to judge it, and to sometimes end it, you know, when necessary. Uh, because in that point, he is, uh, he's basically losing a part of himself because all of the creation evolved out of his very own thoughts, love, uh, and also DNA and imagination. And so it's important to understand uh, the extent of love that you and I have been given uh, by the God of the universe choosing to give his only begotten son for us. There was self-restraint, forbearance, and he tolerated. Uh, and you say, well, uh, and if you notice in verse 25, it talks about the remission of sins that are past. And so if I can paint this picture to you, you know, if God had not sent Jesus um, to take the, to become the sacrifice that takes the sin of the world, then what he would have seen impartial or unjust because, um, you know, when we look in, in the Old Testament, again, and, and, and saints and patriots, um, people had actually sinned, and, and God had a show mercy. And also there were sacrifices of lambs, of goats, of bullocks that were offered that were basically postponed judgment in the Old Testament uh, until Christ could come to take away the sins of the world. So really those sins were still kind of pending. And so, you know, someone could make a case, well, how can you put their sins uh, and allow their sins to be pending but turn around and judge other sins, okay? And so, you know, we see that in the Old Testament. We see judgment coming upon certain people certain lands and certain nations for certain sins. But then we also know that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, and not everyone was condemned for the sin that they committed. And so, you know, looking at it, you can say, okay, what's the balance? What's the – well, God was doing that in his love to prepare a way and to – he knew a time would come when he would send his son to deal with the sins of repenting 
and and to allow all of that to come upon him as his son himself became sin for us. I want to look at uh, how God tolerates things. I think Psalms chapter 50, verse 14 through 23 gives us a clear picture of what this looks like. I'll read this thing here. Psalms chapter 50, verse 14 through 23. And the psalmist says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Verse 16. But unto the wicked, God says, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes that thou should take my covenant in your mouth? Verse 17, seeing thou hateth instruction and casteth my words behind thee. Verse 18, when you saw a thief, you consented with him, and you have been partakers with adulterers. Verse 19, you give your mouth to evil, and your tongue refrains, your tongue frameth deceit. 20, you sitteth and speaketh against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. 21 through 23 is what I want you to really tune in on. This is what God says. These things have you done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was altogether such as one as yourself, but I will reprove you and set them in order before your eyes. And oftentimes, and the reason I bring this out is because um, there are many times when people misinterpret the silence of God as permission or agreement or even endorsement for the wickedness that they're doing. When really, uh, it's neither. It's the mercy of God. It's the love of God. It's the goodness of God giving the space of opportunity for that individual or that aspect of creation to turn from their wickedness and to to come back and to align themselves back with the right ways of God, with the right ways of heaven. Okay. And it's and in this verse in Psalms fifty, the psalmist was saying that just because God was saying because he kept silent, that these people that were doing these things thought that he was altogether such a one as yourself because he never stopped, you know, showing mercy. He never stopped, uh, you know, allowing his rain to come down on them. He did not reprove or judge them harshly uh, when they was committing those acts. But they knew they knew better. And so it's important to, uh, and God was being forbearing. In other words, he was tolerating some things and, Everything that he tolerates doesn't mean that he agrees with it. Uh, But, you know, the important thing to understand is that he doesn't tolerate anything forever. He doesn't tolerate anything forever. Um, He tolerates to provide space to repent and to realign uh, before he has to do something that his heart really does not want to do. Okay? Verse 22, he said, Now consider this, you that forget God lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. 23, whosoever offers praise glorifies me, and him that ordered his lifestyle aright, his conversation aright, his way of living, will I show the salvation of God. 
So as we move on to Romans chapter 3, verse 26, as we have established a clear picture of what the forbearance of God looks like, let's go to verse 26. It says, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Okay. So through the setting forth of his son and giving Jesus to be an atoning victim for our sins at the cross, that action was actually a verbal or, or spoken declaration. It was a declaration of God the Father being released into the earth. It was a declaration of God's righteousness, of God's right ways. Remember I said most of us, well, all of us who were born into this earth could not help that we were born in sin because the first man, Adam, passed that on to us. But what we can help in our day is we can make a choice to no longer desire to live in it by taking advantage of the sacrifice or the life of the new beginning that comes through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And so by the giving of Jesus Christ, the scales have been balanced. The right ways of God have been made equitable or just. Okay? And so verse 26 says that he might be just, God the Father, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This is so important. Verse 26 is so vital for those of you who struggle with guilt and shame and condemnation and fearing uh, judgment from God and fearing that God hates you, that God doesn't like you, that you're somehow displeasing, that just, just terrified, that have been kind of made to be terrified of the intentions of God. I want you to understand that God's intention is to save us. You know, judging us or condemning us or being condemned to hell is something that we push his hand to do. But it's never his intent toward us. It's never his desire for us. Even when he says to some of his creation, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew that is something that he has to do and that he does at some point in all brokenness. And, and, and it's not his desire. So I want you to understand that there is, there, is more, there is more provision made to get out of trouble than, than there is to, to remain in it. Okay? There is more provision, more help, more aid, more assistance, more great grace provided in Jesus Christ to live an upright life. Okay? God has invested a lot in his son to get you and I where we need to be because his goal, again, in verse 26, is not to condemn us, but his desire and his intention is to justify us. Okay? He is a justifier of him who believes in his son. So God wants to justify you, to vindicate us, to make us innocent, to, to make us spotless, to make us righteous and upright once again as it relates to the course of heaven and as it relates to his standard of righteousness uh, as well as holiness.
Okay. And it's important to understand that God is for us and not against us. And so let's get on the right side of thinking as it relates to God's intention toward us. Because Jesus was sent because God had determined in his heart the Father that he wanted to justify us even though we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And if we can put more faith in the grace that's been provided to make us right, then we focus on the wrong uh, you know, and the, the sense of, of um, you know, our issues, our problems, our shortcomings, and, and these things, and we can just focus on the blood, his righteousness, and begin to release our faith in those things, we will see that his grace is sufficient and that we will come out just as God intended. Verse 27, he goes on to say, where is boasting then? And then he answers that question. It is excluded. The word boasting means bragging. Okay, well, well, what can man take pride in? If God is a just, if God is just, and he is the justifier only of those who believe in Jesus, it's important for you and I to reevaluate our faith in his son. Again, if God has released the power to be innocent again, to be pure again, to be not guilty again, to be upright again. If God has invested that ability for you and I in his son, and all those who believe in Jesus experience that innocence, that righteousness, that justice, you know, that transformation to become like we need to be upright in God's sight, if you say, if we say that we believe in Jesus and we're not experiencing that on a daily basis, then we must reevaluate the quality and the condition of our belief system in Jesus. Maybe we're not believing him like we think we are. Maybe we're not believing him according to the will of God or according to the revelation of God as revealed in the scripture. Okay, because according to verse 26, those who believe in Jesus become justified. Okay, they experience the power of his blood at work instantly as a result of their belief, and they're changed. Because God did it, and God does it through the blood of his son, there is no room for bragging or for boasting from you and I. There's only humble Acknowledgement, acceptance of his grace and of his love through humility. Okay. Then he asked the question, by what law? Question mark. Is it by the law of works? Then he answers that question in verse 27, no or nay, but by the law of faith. So it shows us, you guys, that if we operate in true faith or true dependency on God, true confidence and trust in God. According to verse number 27, that is a humble disposition. And when we release faith in God, because God does the work or God provides the answer, God provides the solution, there is no room for you and I to brag or boast about anything. So the law of faith removes the opportunity to boast or the opportunity to get credit for something. 
uh, the opportunity to depend on one's own merits, accomplishments, exploits, or deeds uh, to point to as a result of why we receive the blessing, a breakthrough, or the promise. But I want you to see in verse 27, the Apostle Paul calls faith a law, the law of faith. Say that out loud, the law of faith. Now, faith is a spiritual law. Now, you and I both know that laws are not optional, even though sometimes we make them optional. But we know that law-abiding citizens, they get to their destination. You know, you can, the government is on your side. Okay, if you abide by the law, uh, then you can, you know, even when it comes to just uh, traffic laws, okay, you can, if you go, and if you go to speed limit, you stop at uh, red lights, you know, you, um, you know, you, you, you do what you're supposed to do when it comes to traffic laws, you can get from destination to destination and go anywhere and get what you want. But if you break the law, then you put yourself in jeopardy of being pulled over. The reason that I'm bringing this out is because um, I think that it's possible for us to not really understand how important faith is when it comes to the covenant that we have been given, the new covenant. Faith is not just optional. Faith is not just something that we should operate in. Faith is not something that... Um, that, that we can afford to say, God is working with me on this, or I'll get there one day. Faith is an actual spiritual law that must be adhered to, followed, you know, um, submitted to, and must be obeyed in order to receive from the kingdom of God and from the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Habakkuk chapter 2, 4 says, you know, the just shall live by his faith. And so we have to look at our faith walk again, because remember, this springs off the after A in part of 26. He to justify them which believe in Jesus. So belief is faith. And so he says, where is boasted then? It's excluded. How? By what law? According to the law of faith. And so as we, as we read this, you guys, and, and as we think about faith in our lives, I want to encourage, you know, all of us, let's, even if you've heard faith before, even if you think you know what faith is, I guarantee you that all of us can stand to, to go to another level of potency, you know, clarity, pureness, in what we understand as faith, okay? Um, because this law of faith means that at any time, in any moment, regardless of the circumstances, wherever you're trying to go or whatever you're trying to get from God, or whatever promise or blessing or scripture that you're trusting to see become a reality in your life, that we won't see it and we won't experience it without faith. Okay? And this is so vital because we are an intellectual people. We are reasoning people. Sometimes we are an emotional people. Uh, reasoning, intellect, and emotions 
uh, will not bring about justification, will not bring about the gift of righteousness to experience it and to and to feel the innocence of God course through you. Okay, there's only one way to connect with the promises of God and with the reality of the kingdom of God becoming you your portion, and that is through operating the law of faith. And so it's important that you adopt the mindset that this law cannot be broken. If you break the law of faith by not complying in it and walking in doubt and unbelief and, you know, and, and a double-mindedness or just uh, no faith at all, uh, then it makes void the promise or it makes void the experience of the blessing. Not that it doesn't exist. It's just that there are things that you and I, we won't experience, praise God, until we obey this law called faith. 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Okay? Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we're talking about being justified. I know some of you guys may be thinking about how that Abraham uh, in the book of James Apostle James makes the statement that faith without works is dead, was not Abraham himself justified by works. I want you to make a distinction right here because it could seem like a contradiction, uh, but it's not. Praise God. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing the works of the law okay, itself. Okay. Abraham was, I mean, the, um, the Apostle James was speaking about Abraham was not speaking about the works of law. He was speaking about corresponding actions that are necessary uh, that must spring forth after we say we believe that show the evidence of our faith. Because remember that the law was not given even to Moses. The, the law was given to Moses, so Abraham came before Moses. So the law was not even um, in existence. And so the Apostle James used Abraham as an example of the law uh, of works, praise God, apart from the law. And so one is speaking about being justified by the works of the law, but in the book of James, the Apostle James is speaking about if you say you believe, then there need to be some actions that follow your belief system that are in line with what you say you believe to bring evidence to it. Okay? All right. So verse number... 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? And so this is Apostle Paul dealing with the mindset of the believers in that time to show that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, are in need of the same Jesus, are in need of the same justification, and that justification is through faith and faith alone. So the answer is, yes, he is the God of the Jews and Gentiles. He is not the God of the Jews only. Okay? And this is so important because the Jewish people at this time felt that they had a, uh, an exclusive hold on God because they knew that God had chosen them to release the oracles of God. And so they were not quite as accepted, accepting in the beginning that he was not just their God, but he was the God of the other nations as well. 
Okay, they were kind of priding and boasting themselves and being the chosen ones and being better than others. And even though you still have some messianic Jews, you have messianic Jews or converts today who understand that the Messiah is the God of the entire world, the God of the entire universe, and he's, you know, God of the Gentiles as well, there are those who still believe um, that he is their God and that he is not the God of the other nations in the earth. Verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith, Jews, and the uncircumcision through faith, Gentiles. I'm going to read this again. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith, the Jewish people, and the uncircumcision through faith, every other nation that is not Jewish according to their bloodline. Okay? But notice that regardless of whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's all according to faith, the avenue to connect with God to be justified, both Jew and Gentile, is by faith. Verse 31, if this is the case, if a person cannot be justified by the works of the law, do we just scratch it, throw it away, act like it never existed, and label it as if it has no present relevance to us now who are in the new covenant? Praise God. And that's the question. It says, do we then make void the law through faith? Okay, not that we're justified by faith. Is the law just useless? Is it no good? Is it, should we not even pay attention to it? Okay? And this is a beautiful statement. I think it brings a lot of balance and wisdom. Apostle Paul says, God forbid that we throw it away and that we cast it to the side as if it never existed and make it void. God forbid. But he says, yay or yes, we establish the law. We establish it. Well, thank you for your time. I pray that the study, praise God, brings some life, uh, increase, growth in Christ. Uh, and we will proceed this study, praise God, by the will of the Lord, this Friday, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Grace and peace be with you in Jesus' name.